Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support the independent financial advisor community because they believe every firm of every size deserves someone who's committed and passionate and who provides world-class resources, technology, and people who thoroughly understand your firm's goals. Someone who will work tirelessly to give you the winning edge. Hello and welcome to RIA Edge. I am Mark Bruno, Managing Director and Wealth Management Group at Informa Connect. And I am very, very excited about today's conversation. It's a two for one. We have two of my favorite people in the space here. We have Greg Friedman, CEO and founder of Private Ocean, and Cynthia Greenfield, Chief Experience Officer at Private Ocean. Greg, Cynthia, thank you both very much for being here today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having us, Mark. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Well, this will be fun, and not just because you built Private Ocean into one of the largest and most successful RIA firms in the business, but you've also just written a book about M&A. And I can't think of a better topic right now than M&A, and more importantly, and what I love about what you have both done here is you're not just focused on how to get a deal done, how to make the most money. You're actually focusing on something that very few people are talking about right now. The name of the book says it all, Integrating Culture in Successful RIA Mergers and Acquisitions. So thank you both for taking a few minutes to walk us through you know, the cultural elements and what it takes to actually complete a deal and build a successful RIA firm. I'm really looking forward to this. So we'll just jump right in to the first question here. What motivated you to write this book and what should a reader expect to get out of it? Yeah. Well, this is actually our third book Greg and I have worked on together. He authored the first one, Advisory Leadership, and then he co-authored the guidebook to M&A, which really focused on technology and integrating systems and processes. And we thought this just made a sensible next book in the series, Integrating Culture. It's the people part that is more difficult to actually bring together during an M&A. And if you really think about it, what companies are investing in are the people and the clients who they serve, because that's what brings in the revenue. And that's what will make the merger most successful. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that was a driver in this was the fact that Private Ocean itself is a result of a merger. Uh, We've done two acquisitions. And one of the things that struck us was there's no material really out there about this. So we thought it would be really helpful, uh, not that we're experts after three or four transactions, but certainly definition of experience is having the uh, scars to, to, to show. So we thought, well, we've learned a lot. And so rather than focus, again, as Cynthia mentioned, on some of the more technical aspects, which there's quite a bit actually at this point, there's a lot of material on just general M&A and deals. And it's always about deal structures and things like that. And then when we ran by a number of colleagues and said, hey, what do you think? They were very supportive of us putting something out because that, again, the, the ground was fertile for focusing on people and some of the things we've done that we felt have been really helpful. Yeah, and I imagine if you figured out how to co-author a book, actually write an entire book with someone else, you definitely know a few things about teamwork <laughs> right? and integrating culture. So congratulations on, on that level of partnership. And more specifically, I mentioned before you know, that M&A you know, tends to get a lot of attention, tends to grab lots of headlines. We see on wealthmanagement.com, it feels like you know, there's a, a different deal 
every day. I mean, we all know that there have been record levels of M&A in the RAA industry in recent years. But I am curious, I mean, what are we learning right now about how prepared RAs really are to build bigger, cohesive, and more truly integrated companies? Well, that's a great question. And I think I would argue the jury's a little bit still out. It's an interesting dynamic, what's happening. RAs are a cottage industry. The most of the businesses are built by advisors who achieved a level of success that they probably didn't even think they were going to achieve. As they achieved it, they ended up hiring more. They found themselves actually having businesses. And then you've got now professionally managed, professionally financed, really the level of investment coming into this space is uh, pretty significant. So, yeah. And you've got, so you've got really different, different companies and different options for how these companies are going to evolve. At the same time, the competitive pressures around uh, what the client experience is going to look like in a few years and three years and five years and the investments required to really feel competitive, be competitive in five years. And in my, from my perspective, is significant because there's just a lot of money coming into this space. And you've got Goldman, United Capital, you've got all these players. And now you've got insurance companies and you've got just tremendous resource back entities. So it's going to be, it's an arms race. I mean, that's how I look at it. It's an arms race. The consumer will win. <laughs> Definitely. I think uh, the consumer will have a ton of options, but it's going to be interesting. I mean, all you have to do is sit here and look back. If you can even remember, you know, three short years ago, five short years ago. And I remember being at industry events and what that felt like and what that looked like and what that feels like and looks like today. These are, and now think how much more change is coming in five years. It's significant. Yeah. And I, I think you, know, you mentioned that the jury is still out about how prepared firms really are to go through not just the M&A process, but bringing companies together. Somebody I was talking with last week mentioned everybody's a buyer and everybody's or, or everybody's a buyer or a seller yep. right now. And I, I think there's a pretty high degree of accuracy <laughs> to that statement. And it would suggest you know, that we're in a really interesting time where there's this fear of missing out with all the M&A activity that's taking yep. place. Right. So I, I agree with you, the jury's out, but I'm interested to see how this plays out, right? And how many people are doing MA because they know where they want to go and who they want to be, or how many people are doing it because of FOMO. I'll put you on a spot. Percentage of deals that are being done because of FOMO. I think a lot, actually. I think a fair number. <laughs> you know, I, I do want to say this. I've always taken the position that I fundamentally believe that there will always be, just like there's an, a sole proprietor lawyer or a small firm lawyer or a small firm accountant, you know, we are a professional service similar to those. I think there will always be a significant opportunity and amount of people that have small practices like that, that can be very successful, you know, in, in, in and of themselves. What I would argue will be tough in 
is if those particular businesses and practices, well, I wouldn't even call them businesses per se, but those particular small Mm -hmm. shop practices, they'll have a small number of clients that they connect with. They'll have, in my opinion, they will, and again, this is a future speak. In my opinion, down the road, they will have trouble attracting any kind of significant talent because the growth opportunity won't be there. And they'll, but they can have a great life. They can have a great business. I mean, they will have virtual tools and a toolbox and Google and internet and their own brains and and, and education and intelligence to do a nice job. And they'll attract 30, 40, they they can have a, a small book of business, small group of clients. But when you see, I want to grow, I want to add talent, I want to build a business, it's going to be very challenging to achieve that kind of growth in that environment. It's not a good or bad thing. It's not a qualitative judgment I'm making. I'm just saying that it's more and more like a lot of the whole world. There's the haves and the have nots kind of thing. I mean, I've seen, I was just going to say, I've seen data on the statistics on the number of firms that are actually creating most of the growth in our industry. And it's not the majority, right? It's, you know, 10 firms are doing 70% of the organic growth or whatever, some crazy thing. Mm. And I would add to that, not only for talent, attracting talent, but I think also for the client, I think you'll have more resources sometimes when you're dealing with a bigger entity. And that is the advantage of working with a bigger corporation. They may, you know, have more opportunities for the clients that they're serving because they've got a bigger pool to work in. That's a great point. It came up in an earlier RIA Edge episode as well, right? If you need access to more advanced estate planning or tax strategies, some of the larger organizations are building that out, right? So to both of your point earlier, I think this is in the end good for the client. We'll see how effectively the space evolves. And more specifically, I'd love to get into some of the takeaways, some of the best practices that you have in your book. I love that it's not just a book, it's a guide. And you're not just talking at advisors about the importance of culture. You're actually providing guidance on how to bring people and teams together. So I would ask you, you know, while each firm and every deal is unique, what are some of the common best practices that you've both outlined in the book for effectively bringing teams and firms together? Well, Mark, um, I think mergers are really an exercise in change management. And we discuss in the first chapter really how the leadership teams all have different approaches and style to managing change. And I try not to be judgmental about that. There's a lot of different ways to go about bringing teams together and bringing people along and on board. My experience in in Private Ocean, I should say our experience at Private Ocean and what we've seen is successful is having pretty open communication and being transparent with everybody. So everyone feels safe to participate in the conversation and enroll the team in mutually understood desired outcomes. So there's not this sense of the unknown, which creates worry and distance, I think, between the leadership and the teams they're trying to be together. To address specifically with some of the best practices, something that works great is actually bringing your people together. Of course, in-person is the best, but in today's world, sometimes that has to be virtual. And a facilitator can be really helpful in these conversations. And ideally, it's great to do it off-site and in a neutral place, um, not in either 
team's office, someplace that's comfortable for everybody. And the work that you want to do together with the teams is first to to define your common values, do an exercise to find what are the shared beliefs and practices, and to prioritize these and make a list, an actual visual list. And that's a great guide to carry you through the conversation because then you at least come together on certain terms and definitions and values. So you can always refer to that. This is what we're going for and this is what we all agree upon. You also want to look for opportunities um, where you identify, you can make uh, changes for the better between your organizations, that the partnership will actually make you stronger together culturally and otherwise. So that's another great part of doing an offsite together. We've actually, when we've gone through mergers, we've created social events outside of the work area where people can get together and connect personally. And it's not just in the work environment. And that makes for a more collegial experience for everyone. And of course, building a roadmap of what a successful culture looks like and feels like to the group as a whole, to setting goals and milestones that are attainable. So those are exercises and practices that we have used at Private Ocean that have been very helpful. Of course, there have been setbacks and those are to be expected. And so having some flexibility in this entire process makes it more realistic in getting your desired outcome. And a lot of times those goals can change too along the way. Yeah. And I, and I do want to get into some of your experience at Private Ocean, but I, I have a couple of other questions that I'd like to ask just around goal setting. You mentioned the roadmap, and I think everything, Cynthia, that you just outlined is real. It's tangible. And I appreciate that because a lot of times we just talk about the importance of culture, but we don't necessarily say what to do or how to get there. As a leader of an advisory firm, people tend to tell you what they think you want to hear, right? So once you've brought everybody together, once you, and I love this idea of bringing in a mediator as well. Once you've brought in the mediator, you've outlined the roadmap and you say, okay, okay, guys, let's go do it. How do you know if it's actually working? And more specifically, how do you know if you're creating the right culture and environment for growth? And are there ways that you could really measure if it's working? Yeah. Well, first of all, I would change the word mediator <laughs> to like coach, <laughs> moderator. facilitator. Yeah. Moderator is better. Yeah. I was actually going to stress that on the previous question. I mean, the thing that Cynthia talks about, and one of the things she brings so much to, to the table for us is she's a certified coach. So using coaches and facilitators is fundamentally amazing in developing these meetings and things like that. But when you think about how do you really know if you're creating the right culture and environment for growth? Part of me says it's pretty easy in a couple of ways. Are you getting the growth? The, are you actually getting the results you're looking for? One of the things that I always think about is about types of cultures, right? There are different types of cultures. So I'm going to use the polar opposite of how we operate to make my point. A command and control, right? Very hierarchical. Decisions flow from the top. We're just going to tell you what to do. Let's go. That kind of thing. That can work, right? You've got some really strong leader who just says, this is how it is. Let's go get it done. You will, if your culture is solid around that, you will attract people that want to be told that. You will attract and retain people that successfully I would use the word obey with a smile, but you know, right. They just, okay. And, and that can be 
amazing and great. That's the polar opposite of how we operate, but that can work. So the definition of a, of a strong, good culture is when you bring somebody in new, do they self-select in or out pretty quickly, right? Like that's how you know your culture is pretty aligned and, and you know, everybody's kind of going the same direction. And how do you know if it's successful and designed for growth or working? Simple. Are you growing? Are you retaining the people you want to retain? Are you retaining the clients that you want to retain? Are you hitting the business objectives that you're trying to hit? You know, now one other thing I'll throw out, we do a lot of, we're always soliciting feedback because again, the type of culture we want is very collaborative. We want people to speak up. We want to fundamentally the root of how we operate is the belief that if people are happy in their jobs, as happy as they can be in their work and and the people around them and all those kinds of things, then that clears the decks for them to do their best work for clients, right? See how that works? So we as leadership at Private Ocean spend a fair amount of time trying to make sure and understand and feel close to how are people feeling, which one of the things we'll talk about is what have we been doing through the pandemic and stuff like that. Well, that's right up our alley because we've always been like this. So anyways, all that to say, you know you're succeeding if your employees are staying, <laughs> if your clients are staying and you're adding, you know, right, you're growing. Absolutely. And I think sometimes it's just having the simple framework, right? To really understand and measure that it's more than a gut feeling. There are things you can see. There are things you can measure. So thank you both for walking through some best practices and also giving some sort of tangible, whether it's metrics or just sort of progression points that you can look at. I, I will say before we start to talk about Private Ocean a little bit more in detail, you know, we've talked about after the close, right? How do you bring people together successfully? But there has to be quite a bit that you can do leading up to it, right? To evaluate the fit. And Greg, you and I have talked about this before. The deal process takes on its own energy. You can go into a deal saying, most important thing to me is cultural fit, right? The second most important thing is the the, the deal price. And then three, six months down the line, all you care about is a deal price and you've forgotten about everything else, right? So I am curious, I mean, if you're in the early stages of the acquisition process, right? And you're the buyer and you're evaluating some opportunities, what are some things that you should be looking for to evaluate the cultural fit? And how do you stay focused on what's really important to you? So that's really funny, Mark, because I actually would disagree with you on, on that. That's not allowed on that. my podcast. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you say that the deal process kind of overshadows the cultural aspect. And if anything, I see, I think that the more you dive deeper into the deal process, the true culture really rises to the Mm. top. And the more time you spend together, just like in any relationship, you're going to see more sides of the people that you're going to be working with. And I'm a true believer that people show you who they are. And one of the best ways to see people is when they're under stress or under pressure. As we all know, deals create stress and pressure. So uh, really is an opportunity to see culturally, how do you, how will you work together when times are tough or there's lots to do and there's big change to be had? I think actually it's, it's a great opportunity for that to surface and, and come to light. 
Yeah, maybe I'm drawing on my personal experience a little bit too much with that one, but you're spot on. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's a very good thing. And if it's a priority going in, it should be a priority you know, throughout. And I'd love to actually transition and you know, talk a little bit more about Private Ocean now specifically. There's quite a bit that you've done through on the acquisition side over the years. So I am curious, I mean, what are some of the things that you are both actually doing at Private Ocean to build on? and enhance the culture that you've created. And if there are any things that you've done over the last 18 months, well, we're all remote. You talked about the importance of in-person, but for a good part of it, a time period, it hasn't been an option. I'd love to just draw on some of the things that you've done when we've all had to be you know, virtual or distant during that time. So any specific thoughts on how you have really effectively built the culture and enhanced the culture you know, that you've created there at Private Ocean? Yeah, we've done a lot. And I'm going to focus on the last 18 months because I think that's been a real test to our culture and I'm sure to everybody else's. What we find, or at least who we are at Private Ocean, it's personal connection is very, very important. Part of our culture is when you walk down the hall, you say hi to people, you pop in the office, you you eat lunch together in the lunchroom, and so much happened during that time together. And being home, it's been really hard to replace that. But some of the things we've done is um, we've definitely, like everybody, perfected Zoom and the Zoom meeting experience. And I know we laugh about that, but if you become an expert, you can really get people to interact well with Zoom, either in chat or channels or breakout rooms. We just have done all kinds of things to let people participate and not just be mute and sit silent and turn off their camera. It's actually, and Greg can attest to this, it's actually mandatory that you engage in our conversations and it's expected um, in either large or small meetings that we are putting together. We've also done, we've upped our fun game. We've done trivia parties. We did a fitness challenge. We still celebrate our holidays, whether it's a costume contest or a cookie decorating contest. So we've tried to keep things fun and light and make it not all work all the time. One of the one of the most interesting things that we did actually last February, and Greg found somebody, a mental health expert, to come in and discuss stress management mm. and the best ways for all of us to adjust to our new normal, which I think was really helpful um, to the group as a whole and gave us different perspectives and, and look for opportunities in this new normal for us to try and do things differently, like to learn something new or get organized or dream outside the box, think of different ways of doing things. And I think a lot of people have really taken advantage of that and enjoyed it. I would just add that we would survey and ask people. I personally, and then us as a leadership group, were were pretty concerned with how people were feeling and what was happening. And we have some a fair amount of fair number of young employees who are very isolated right? I mean, if you're with a family and your kids, you know, you have too much family time. Well, they had a lot of, a fair number of people were all alone. We were, I was really concerned about that. So in addition, I mean, I would personally reach out to people, randomly Zoom, <laughs> Zoom on them, but just pop in and say, you're not in trouble. How are you doing? What's happening? What can I do for you? I think that was meaningful. I've always done that kind of thing, but I kind of up my game on that. I know some of our leaders also would check in regularly with their people individually and as teams. So it's just a lot of that. I think Cynthia hit the nail on the head. For us, it was definitely a personal connection thing What was missing. Yeah. 
It's interesting because we'll ask that question to just about everybody that we'll have on RIA Edge. And there are lots of different approaches. And I, I love this idea of a, a Zoom bomb, an unannounced, unscheduled you know, call, yep. right? Just to check in and see how people are doing. I think I certainly appreciate that, especially when we're talking about MA. I'm amazed to think about how many hundreds of deals have been done over the last couple of years. And in some cases, not only have employees not met one another um, the management teams might not have met exactly another, right um, yeah. so just to be able to start to build the personal connection even if you're not necessarily working towards something right is incredibly important so thank you for drawing that and, and just a, a final sort of thought here as well because obviously you've been involved in several deals through private ocean and greg obviously the sale of you know, juncture um, a few years back as well you know what do you know now that you wish you knew before you started engaging in mergers and acquisitions? So this is really funny because it's not so much that I wish I knew this kind of thing. We are on this call talking consistently about how important culture and people and assessment is. And I'm going to tell you in these deals, you hit it on the head, Mark, when you said these deals take on a life of their own quickly, quickly. I mean, it becomes, you know, by, boy, look how amazing this is going to be. And, and it goes to numbers and it goes to we're going to conquer the world and whatever. And it goes past who you are really quickly. So what's the thing that I would say I've learned? You can't spend too much time because whatever you think is too much time, you're still not spending enough time getting to know the people really well. And just listening to that little voice, yeah, these are people that we share a worldview with or, or there's some alignment of the major important things because without that, you just struggle. And one of the things that it's not very well documented, but in the hallways, they whisper about it. Every time there's an acquisition or a merger, there's some level of turnover, employee, staff, turnover. The question is, why is that? And, and that's not a small number. I, don't, I would argue and debate anybody who tells me, oh yeah, we've bought 10 firms in the last two years and boy, our retention's off the charts. There's probably two reasons for that, even if it's true, which I, I would challenge that it's true, but let's say it's true then you probably put non-competes, non-solicit, non-whatever, and they're locked in. Because without that, in the absence of that, you know, I've seen as much as a third of the employees literally over the next 12 to 24 months after a merger or acquisition leave. Now, many times it's not even because their job changed a lot, but their life changed a lot. And that's culture, right? That's culture. So, I don't know. I mean, I, there's something to all that. And so we spend a lot of time just really getting to know people and understanding you know, and, and all the things Cynthia talked about in terms of facilitated meetings and, you know, you're building bridges and you either build those bridges early. And I think that creates an environment for success, or you just go ahead and go through it and know that a bunch of people are probably going to leave or a bunch of people aren't going to be happy or, and I just don't see that as the optimum way to do a merger acquisition. So, And I think one of the ways that we've approached it too, Greg, is that 
we're pretty honest about that when we're work, you know, working together in a merger. People have fears, people have questions, people aren't sure. And instead of making that a taboo subject that can't be discussed, it's actually encouraged and invited for people to bring those fears and apprehensions to light and put them on the table. Let's talk about what's real. Let's talk about what's not real. Let's talk about what is here for you and does it work for you? Because it's not good for anyone to make them stay if they're miserable. Everyone needs to be productive and work towards working together as opposed to being unhappy where you are. And I think that that is very true and a good note to end on. And I will also say, while I have not read the book in its entirety, I've had the benefit of knowing both of you for quite some time. And I think one of the things that has made you successful, this is my humble opinion, is you have a clear vision and a strategy and you have a great way of articulating where you want to go and why it's beneficial for all the people who are involved. And if they see themselves fitting in, you know, you make it really easy for them to sort of understand. You're excellent communicators. So I'm not surprised. One, that you've had the success that you've had over the years at Private Ocean. And two, you've just you know, launched the book. Again, it's Integrating Culture in Successful RIA Mergers and Acquisitions, the Guide for Financial Advisors. And I'm expecting to see it on the New York Times bestseller list sometime <laughs> soon. If not, maybe on the wealthmanagement.com bestsellers list yeah. sometime soon. All right. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> I'm waiting due. for my autographed copy, guys. It's, it's right. in the mail, um, along with the deck. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, again, Greg, thank you very much. Cynthia, thank you very much for taking some time out. Congratulations on the launch of the book. Best of luck. It is, I'm sure, an amazing read and very important for any advisor or leader of an advisory firm who is thinking about buying or selling right now. So again, it's on behalf of wealthmanagement.com and the Wealth Management Group at Informa Connect, I am Mark Bruno. This is RA Edge, and we look forward to having you on another episode again soon. Thank you very much, everybody. Thanks, Mark. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support the independent financial advisor community. Because they believe every firm of every size deserves someone who is committed and passionate and who provides world-class resources, technology, and people who thoroughly understand your firm's goals. Someone who will work tirelessly to give you the winning edge. You can learn more at advisorservices.schwab.com.